does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This morning on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Hey, welcome in on this Wednesday. It's a hump day here on the Fan Wake Up Call. And thank you so much for waking up with us. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton producing today's effort. You know, it's a Wednesday. We'll give you an update uh, on the Jonathan Taylor situation. A little Jim Bob Cooter sound maybe later on on JT. We can dive into that. I think we switch you know, basically for me to the Tennessee Titans as we get ready for Sunday there and Lucas Oil. We have Indiana, Mike Woodson bending the knee, Scott Dolson bending the knee to John Calipari. We can get into that, and otherwise, it's a busy show. Stephen Holder, ESPN, will join us coming up at 8 o'clock, his normal Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Dustin DePirac, we'll talk with him at about 8.30, and then NFL Network and former NFL exec Mark Ross will join us in the 9 o'clock hour. What do you do with JT? What about Shaq Leonard? What about the first four weeks of the NFL season? Busy, busy, busy on this Wednesday, and we appreciate you hanging out with us on The Fan. KB, a very happy morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm good, man. I feel like we should note that that on one try, Andy got... Dustin's last name correct. Right? Dustin DePirac? Jake, we had. We, Jake couldn't get it to save his life. <laughs> Jake struggled with that that name, and he's Barack. Well, he's got courtside seats to the, the Pacers. Sun. You think he know one of the B writers? What's everything going on with that? Sun. A lot of syllables well, being thrown in there. So, Dustin DePirac. I had to write well, phonetics on the board a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> it's still screwed. Well, there words like, hooked that, on phonics. That you there are words that uh, I I butchered a word a day or two ago. I can't even remember what it was. I used to not be able to say Philadelphia, and that uh, obviously they a bunch of teams that I hate, so you know you got to be able to say the the teams in the city that you hate. Mark, I've had Dustin on since he covered IU, mm-hmm. even back in Bloomington, and then I had him on when he left. And remember, he covered the Tennessee Volunteers yeah. for a couple yeah, years uh, d- down in Knoxville. So I have not spoken with him since I've been in Indian. I cannot wait to do so. So we'll talk with him at eight thirty. Hey, speaking of Dustin, I, a lot of people were like, "Hey, I really enjoyed the Rick Carlisle interview yesterday." That's and fantastic. Missed that. That is up on the podcast. The Pacers had their first training camp practice yesterday. We'll touch on, I think, what was the expected starting lineup. But again, Dustin's going to join us coming up at 8.30. Certainly, as Andy pointed out, the big news, I would say, in this market yesterday. And it takes a lot to probably supersede the Colts when you're in this season. But it is Indiana-Kentucky restarting. That rivalry, again, it's been 14 years. Yes, they have met in the NCAA tournament, actually twice since the Christian Watford shot. Uh, but you got to go back to 2011 for the last time these two programs met. Um, so basically, it's going to look like this. It's not happening this year. It's not happening next year. So we're out in the 2025 cycle. But they will meet in December starting in 2025 for four straight seasons. The order of those games, Andy, will be Rupp Arena, Lucas Oil, Rupp Arena again, <laughs> and then Assembly Hall yeah. to round it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you want to do this right now? Do you want to do this right now? I believe you just said that I do you want to do this right now. Knee. I mean, it, it, it's not, it's, they're 100% bending the knee. 
Now, the question I have is, do Indiana fans care? KB, let me tell you something. Sometimes you've, um, you know when a player goes from one team to another and they're like, he knows all the signals that we're going to use. That came up last week. Remember, weren't the Dallas Cowboys like, we're worried about the Patriots because the Patriots signed Will Greer and they have Ezekiel Elliott and they're going to know, they're going to know our plan. They're going to know our signals. They're going to know what we're doing pre-snap. And obviously that game was a blowout and it didn't matter at all. It's just funny to talk about. We talk about those things in sports. I covered Kentucky basketball for like 15 years. They are laughing at this. Make no mistake about it. John Calipari, and this goes back months, okay? This was finalized yesterday, but this was going to be the setup for months. Back when I was on the radio following Kentucky basketball, John Cal knowing people close to Calipari. Calipari basically said, we're going to play Indiana and they're going to do it the way I want to do it. And if you're an Indiana fan, you may want to play these games. I've seen a lot of KB, well, it's good to play these games. And by the way, cut in at any time and tell me to shut up because this is a, to me, this is a big story that Scott Dolson and Mike Woodson said, we want to play these games so bad that we will give in to John Calipari, the emperor and the evil empire. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Yeah. I mean, Cal, would, Cal wants to play in Lucas Oil. He loves to play away from Rupp Arena. He does. So, essentially, I know Indiana controls a lot of those tickets. Uh, okay, big boy. Let's see how much blue gets in because that's what they do. Kentucky fans are arrogant towards Indiana. They look down on Indiana. They view them as, if Indiana were on the schedule this year, fifth or sixth down the line on their non-conference schedule. And listen, I'm happy the games are going to be played. I also am, you know, if, if John Calipari is there on December 16th, 2028 to go back into Assembly Hall, then you might as well just say we won the lottery because there's about as good of a chance as as, as us winning the lottery as John Calipari still coaching in Lexington in 2028. Cal's a baby about Assembly Hall. He was a baby about the watch shot, and, and, and that's just the way it's going to be. And so everyone's patting everybody on the head. Ah, they're finally playing, and these two powerhouses should play. KB, they should play. I would agree with that, but if you're going to play John Calipari. Indiana had to bend the knee. That's the way it's being viewed, whether you like it or not. It's great that they're playing, but Indiana fans just know that Scott Dolson bent the knee. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I I, I think that's taking it to the extreme. Um, I think in the world of college athletics, sometimes you have to make sacrifices to try and recreate, I guess, one of the great college basketball rivalries that unfortunately uh, has not happened for the last decade plus. So, yeah, if you're an IU fan, do you look at it and say, man, I hate the Assembly Hall games, the fourth out of the four games on the schedule and, you know, 40,000 inside of Lucas Oil. I mean, I don't love that Lucas Oil end zone venue. Uh, that's what it'll be right. coming up. Right. They it, cut it in half. They have, they have the curtain. It almost looks like the old uh, where San Antonio played, the Spurs, right? Where they bring the, the Alamo curtain down. Dome. Yeah, the Alamo Dome. Yeah. Doesn't that what it, that's what it looks like, I think. Not to get too like into the academic calendar, I don't love that it's deeper into December than it was when I was on campus in Bloomington. They were playing those games a week earlier. Um, these games are all going to be post-finals. So, I, you know, what's your kind of student look at those games when they are on campus? Uh, not a big fan of that. December 27th, does that just get lost in the Christmas shuffle a little bit? 
that's the date for the game. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about that. I I wonder if there's a reason just with the NFL they're trying to be out of the way. I I don't know. I don't know why it would be December 27th. I'm with you. But I I would say more than anything, and I don't know, maybe I don't live on BBN message boards and Peg's message boards, so (laughs) maybe I don't care that much about it. But, like, this is what college basketball should be about. If you are going to want kids to not go to Overtime Elite and G League Ignite and all of these different avenues that they can go to, you've got to have these rivalries a part of your basketball schedule because these moments, talk to any, I guarantee if you talk to Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo and maybe insert NBA jokes about their careers here, I guarantee you one of, if not the greatest basketball memory they have is what happened on December 10th, 2011. And I guarantee if you ask Anthony Davis, that would be a game that he probably remembers more so than even some mm-hmm. of the NBA stuff that he has done as well. So, I ju- did I you bend the knee? I, I, who, pardon me, it's like, who cares? Like, the fact that the rivalry is back on, to me, is the only thing that matters. Sure, would you have seen like to have seen a second game at Assembly Hall? Yeah, but unfortunately, again, in college athletics in this day and age, you have to make some sacrifices with it. And I will credit Mike Woodson big time, because that first year when he took over, the non-conference schedule was a joke. And all of a sudden, it's, let's get home and home with Kansas. Mm -hmm. Let's play Arizona on a neutral floor. You'll see Auburn, which I think is a pretty respectable program. You'll see them this year down in Atlanta. Obviously, you're going to have this series starting up here in a couple of years. This is happening because of Mike Woodson as well. His relationship with Cal. If this were Archie Miller or if this were, uh, you know, fill-in name of another coach, and, and I don't know who it would be, the chances of it happening. I guess, KB, here's my thing. I live this battle between Indiana, Kentucky, and Louisville fans, where there is, when you say you're not on the message boards, that's the life that I lived, (laughs) okay? So the life that I have lived since this became official are BBN members making fun that Indiana bent the knee to, to to John Calipari and Calipari got his way. Now, I'm with you. The end result is a great end result for us. And ultimately, Indiana might be better. They might fail. Look at Lucas Oil. Lucas Oil. And it might be a fantastic atmosphere. In fact, it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. But in this battle of like who won and who yeah, lost. I just don't a, care about what Big Blue Nation and, thinks. But, yeah, but, and like, but it, Indiana fans do. I, Indiana fans do and Kentucky fans do. That's my point. I mean, both those programs should probably look in the mirror and realize that in the last five to ten years, they have failed to meet whatever standard that that has been created (laughs) from previous eras. That should probably be the bigger issue than who bent the knee to get get this relationship back started. Obviously, and I couldn't agree more to the point, will John Calipari even be the head coach of Kentucky? 2028? You know... I'm not trying to play the age game here, but could you have the same question for Mike Woodson? Won't Woodson be 70 when that game rolls around? I mean, we are so far in the future with all of this. I do think, and we brought this up very briefly yesterday, Andy, if you look at the news items from the Big Ten yesterday, obviously the Indiana-Kentucky rivalry getting back started was the biggest news item. You also saw the Big Ten release their schedule and the TV slots mm-hmm. for where their games are going to be played here this coming season. And Purdue and Indiana are both in the boat. Because when you think about major college basketball fan bases, especially yep. in the Big Ten, Indiana and Purdue are near or at the top. Indiana Absolutely. certainly yeah. is at the top. And... 
I, I did not know this at the time, but I just kind of mentioned it in passing to you yesterday. One of those Indiana-Purdue yeah. games is going to be on Peacock. And sure enough, it's one on of Peacock. will be yeah. on Peacock coming up this year. And I went through the IU basketball schedule, and Purdue is in a very similar boat. I actually think Purdue has one more Peacock game than Indiana does coming up this year. If you want to watch Indiana's schedule, or every IU basketball game this year, nine different channels. <laughs> nine different channels. You need. Okay, you need okay. two. Can I li- can I list them? Two streaming services. Uh, okay, yeah. so, so I mean, B- Big Ten Network. Okay, I'm gonna go Big Ten Network Plus. Okay, uh, ESPN, ESPN Two. Uh, is there an? I, I'm guessing is there an ESPN Plus in there? Can they do that contractually? There I don't, is an ESPN U. Oh, ESPN U. So if that you want to go with that? Yeah, so, th- so there's that, five. That would be five. Uh, those Sunday CBS games. Huh? Right. So that's six. Oh my goodness! What would be? There's three more. Well, who's the spearheader of all of this Big Ten realignment? Well, it's Fox, so you're going to have a Fox. Now, does that go Fox Fox, and FS1? FS1. So that would put us at seven, or is that eight? That's eight, and Mark, go ahead and play the noise. Oh, boy. There's your ninth. (laughs) So nine different channels to watch Mike Woodson's boys this season. (laughs) Two of those will be on streaming surfaces. Shouldn't cause any confusion at all. No, no confusion at all. And and, and Purdue is in a very similar boat. I don't want to act like this is just an Indiana thing. Again, Purdue's got one more Peacock game. But we knew this would happen. Like, Indiana's five Peacock games. At Michigan, at Rutgers, at Ohio State. Purdue and Wisconsin. I would say those qualify as five games that Indiana fans would like to watch. Yeah, Indiana fans want to watch North Alabama. Better get six bucks a month. So six bucks a month for the basketball season. Activated here, November, November, December, January, February. There you go. Maybe March. You're going to spend thirty five, thirty, you know, thirty five, forty bucks on it. Get a free trial here and there. (laughs) Boy, you better hope that free trial extends into the spring months. Oh, they want you to do the free trial because you auto pay it on Apple Pay, and it takes six bucks a month yeah, out of, I'm just, of your account like just me. Just do some multiple emails. That's I think I bought Peacock. I think I did the free trial back when Notre Dame, I want to say Notre Dame Toledo oh, might yeah. have been the first uh, game I remember Notre Peacock, Dame. Oh yeah. And literally, I'm just like, wait, well, I kind of want to watch that IndyCar they, qualify. They, uh, what? They, they got you forever, KB. Yeah. You, will, you will die. Whenever you die, Here you I will am. die with $6. By then it'll with be freaking 60, Peacock. Yeah, by then it'll be $66 with inflation. Listen, I don't want to be too hard. I'm just, I'm giving the other side. I understand yeah. where you're coming from. I'm giving the other side where there's a bunch of internet terrorists on both sides <laughs> of this rivalry, especially <laughs> Kentucky fans who are saying, you stink so much that you gave in to John Calipari and BBN. But this I'm is why you. we need to play the games. But I, Listen, but I'm with you that I'm happy this is back. Calipari has been a baby about the damn watch shot, and that's so all there I was to it. So could fans counter and say, well, last time we met in the NCAA tournament, we beat you. Last time we met in the regular season, we beat you. Like, Absolutely. This is why the games sure. just frankly need to be played. And yes, bend the knee, Scott Dolson, Mike Wilson. However you want to describe it, I'm glad that these parties could get something on paper. I don't think it's the end of the world. That again, it's two at Rupp, one at Lucas Oil, one at Assembly Hall. Part of me thought, you know, can we get the Yum Center involved in this? Didn't we used to do Freedom Hall? Well, well you, you you can't do that because Louisville has a stranglehold on the Yum Center, and Louisville is so. 
uh, hyper hypersensitive about Kentucky being in their arena. Like when that game, when Kentucky and Louisville is played at Louisville, a ton of Kentucky fans are there and they're cheering and Blue got in and, and they buy sure. the tickets and Louisville fans whine to other Louisville fans, why did you sell your tickets for, you know, hundreds of dollars on the spot to pay for the rest of your season ticket package in one damn game? There's no oh, nation. college basketball, look at that on the day JT was supposed to practice. No nation like Big Blue Nation. Yes, uh, walk through today for the Colts. Again, Jonathan Taylor, the latest on that. We will chat about it. Um, Anthony Richardson, I think a few other things that trickled out of Sunday's game that I want to touch on as well. We will have Stephen Holder join us coming up at 8 o'clock. I know he had a conversation with Chris Ballard post-game on Sunday. Some interesting thoughts from the Colts GM on that. Speaking of Colts GMs, you guys brought up Mark Ross at 9 o'clock. He was actually one of the finalists mm-hmm. when the Colts hired Ryan Grigson back in 2012. So Mark Ross, former NFL scout and executive, he's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. And we will look back on Pacers' opening day of training camp, what their starting lineup was. Touch on a little bit of that with their preseason opener coming up Sunday against the Grizzlies. Good Wednesday morning to you. It is the wake-up call with KB and Andy. I'm Kevin Bowen. He's Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykted with us as always. Thanks for tuning in here to 93.5-1075, The Fan. All right, busy, busy, busy on this Wednesday. Hanging on the drivehubler.com studios. Reminder, Colts happy hour on Friday at 6 o'clock. And then on Sunday, we'll get you ready, beginning with JMV at 9 a.m. KB usually going about 9.15 or so with him. Colts and Titans pregame beginning at 9 a.m. All the pregame, all the, you know, obviously, Maytay and company will have the call. And then the postgame show with Greg Rakestraw and company, they'll have you uh, as we get you ready for week five of the NFL season. Dustin DePirak going to join us at 8.30. Mark Ross, former NFL uh, executive and now insider for the NFL Network. He'll join us coming up at 9 o'clock. Alright, let's talk to him. You know it's 8 o'clock on a Wednesday and on the Payless Liquors Hotline, it's Stephen Holder who follows the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, a very good morning to you. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we will see what today or this week brings, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be a busy week, and we cannot wait. Uh, Shane Steichen speaking on Monday. I think KB used the word kumbaya. The Colts putting a smile on the entire Jonathan Taylor situation. Uh, what did you make of what Steichen had to say and what could happen, what may happen this week? <laughs> well, I mean, for a guy who went to extreme lengths to not talk about Jonathan Taylor for like the last two months. <laughs> he went to great lengths on Monday to, to tell us how much he loves Jonathan Taylor and to tell us uh, what a great player he is and, and what an addition he will be. I, it's the most expansive, I think, Shane Steichen has ever been on like any damn thing ever. I'm not kidding. Like It was very surreal, in fact. Now, that has nothing to do with whether Jonathan Taylor is is where he needs to be, you know, in terms of with the team and mentally and uh, in, in terms of his his happiness. I, I have no idea on any of that, but I thought it was striking and, and more than a little notable uh, just how forceful Shane Steichen's comments were. So, and I, as Kevin pointed out, I think that Shane Steichen saying that, that he had had productive conversations with Jonathan Taylor is, is a promising thing. So, so we'll see. I, we don't have all the answers yet, but, but these are definitely uh, – this is definitely a different direction, I would say. Steven, two questions for you. What is your biggest question to Jonathan Taylor slash 
do you get any indication from the Taylor camp that they have mended or quieted down their stance with how the Colts have handled this situation? Okay, so the, the first, tell me again, the first question you said. Yeah, was, sorry, I was uh, awful radio uh, by me asking you two questions. Uh, you're good. <laughs> what is the biggest question you have for Jonathan Taylor? All right, so I'll answer that one first. I, I think for, for Jonathan Taylor, the first question, I mean, look, there will be a lot of talk about, okay, what was really going on with the ankle, and, and I, I think that's important. I don't think it's the most important thing, though, because we all kind of realize what this was, and I don't have to spell it out for you, okay? That's not the most important thing for me. I think the biggest thing is more how do you move forward and what does the future hold? Because even if this is settled now and, and actually settled is definitely the wrong word, like it's not settled. He's just, if he ends up playing here and, and this moves forward, like it appears it will, all that means is that he just kind of ran out of options. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just wonder what does the future hold and how do you conduct yourself moving forward when the team still has control over him? You can say what you want, but, I fully expect them to use the franchise tag. All right, they can they can say they're not going to, but if there's no deal, they're going to use the franchise tag. Like this is not hard. So anyway, that's the first thing. Uh, on your your second question, in terms of whether Taylor and his camp have have kind of modified their stance, I would say my conversations have suggested that that they have not completely backed off from where they were. However, I would also say that. I don't think things are as heated as they were, for sure. That is definitely clear to me. I I don't get that sense at all. And I'm talking about from from both sides. I don't know who took the first step. I can't speak to that. But but I definitely sense that that there has been kind of a, you know, a, a breather has been taken by the parties where it's just not as inflamed as it was, um, I would say a month ago, you know, when, when this thing came to a head uh, with the, the potential trade talks and, and all of that, you know, it was it was kind of at a zenith at that point, you know. Um, I, I don't think we're there at right now. That does not mean it's settled, but I'm just saying that is a difference in posture. Stephen Holder with us here on the Wake Up Call on the Fan on a Wednesday. Files the Colts for ESPN.com. All the factors that go into him potentially playing, whether it be this week or next week, uh, do you want to bring him back when it's a, it's a home game against a great defensive front with the Titans? Uh, how does his body feel? We don't know that. How much can he learn the system? If he comes back, would he would you ease him into it? You know, maybe five, six carries instead of 26 carries. Uh, there's so many factors that go go into it what do you think those factors are and I guess what do you think happens this week uh you know we KB did the numbers 53 54 practices he hasn't been on the field with the Colts since December 15th of last year it's a long time no question about it and and he's missed a lot now that being said he he has been or at least through training camp he was he was there for for most of training camp and we presume in the meetings with his offensive teammates so that's definitely makes a difference and that's that's a factor here uh, in from a positive perspective that means that he has an understanding of the scheme now whether he's been in all of the meetings uh recently where he's kind of been rehabbing and then kind of departing from the facility at least in previous weeks you know i can't speak to that i I don't know what his level of 
involvement has been lately. But Jonathan Taylor's not an idiot. He's played a lot of football, and I think you can get him involved at least on a limited basis as he is now. And and that will boil down to you know, just uh, his, his conditioning level and those kinds of things. But all of the indicators I've gotten on that have been positive. And I thought even running backs coach uh, DeAndre Smith last week telling me that you know, he, he looks great in, in his words. Quote, he looks great in his workouts. So uh, he was effusive in his, his praise for, for Jonathan Taylor's uh, physical state right now. So there's a lot of positives that indicate Jonathan Taylor is ready to play football. That does not mean he plays this week, but, but I think leaving the door open for him to play this week says a lot. And, and I don't think it's just talk. I don't necessarily expect it, but I, I'm also not ruling it out because – this guy, it's not as if this guy came off an ACL tear. I mean, this was just sort of, a, sort of a nagging ankle. It's been in decent shape for quite some time from all appearances. So I don't think that's really even a factor here. This is about conditioning and just, you know, will he, will he be able to go out there and play without hurting the team, you know, in terms of his understanding of the scheme. Again, Stephen Holder is with us here from ESPN.com. I've got one more on the Taylor front. And Stephen, I'll preface this by saying this is not necessarily the reason I'm asking the question, um, but I did have a listener reach out and be like, Kevin, this is very conspiracy theory, prefaced by that, but like, I'm scrolling through the Colts' Instagram and I'm noticing that more Colts players like the non-Jonathan Taylor pictures than the Jonathan Taylor picture uh, of, of him being announced that that's he's jur- back on Wednesday. That's journalism right there, uh-huh. Stephen. Yeah, that is certainly journalism 101 in the year 2023. But the question, I think, off of that is, how do you think the locker room views this Taylor situation? It's probably not a universal opinion um, I'm sure right. the running backs feel differently they're like hell yeah man you know carry our positions flag here but uh, how do you think the locker room feels about how this has been handled by Taylor and the Colts you know for a second there I started <laughs> to think I was on the midday show which uh, which I have no problem with yeah, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> Jake's Jake's rubbing off on me sorry <laughs> all good I it is a good question and and I don't think there's a universal answer I think you're right about that but uh Look, you know, football players like routine. They they don't like distractions, disruptions, et cetera. However, I, I can tell you that Jonathan Taylor is a very popular figure in that locker room, as you obviously know, Kevin. Sure. I mean, he, sure. he's very well liked. He he works hard. I mean, despite what whatever uh, impact this current situation may have had on his reputation and, and how he's viewed, and that's for the individual to to decide. Uh, everything we've known about Jonathan Taylor up to this point is that this guy is a guy who leaves everything on the line. Uh, he he practices every day. You know, he's a guy who he obviously physically has been very, very tough, hasn't missed games in the past. So I, I think that has more than anything shaped this team's and his teammates' opinions of him. That's who, he, that's who Taylor has been. And – players also understand the economics of football. Everybody in that locker room wants to make more money. Now, they haven't conducted themselves in the same way, and they haven't handled that in the uh, approached that in the same fashion, certainly. But but on, on a basic level, everybody that sort of resonates with every player, particularly a guy who has had the contributions of Jonathan Taylor. So I know I I, don't, I think there may be mixed opinions to some degree, but I don't think there's going to be anything but uh, welcoming welcoming 
Jonathan Taylor with open arms because he had some some sort of investment in the bank before this, you know, with that team, and and is very well liked and respected for very good reason. You had um, moving on from from Taylor. I thought you had an interesting NBA comp that you were kind of comparing Anthony Richardson to mm-hmm. yesterday that you mentioned on on Twitter. I was hoping you could expand on that and maybe touch on your uh, text conversation that you had with uh, Chris Ballard after the game. Yeah, so I mean, this really was born of a I guess I was kind of maybe I was trolling okay I admit <laughs> I was trolling uh, there was a there was a tweet that someone put out uh, alleging that you know Anthony Richardson had quietly been the worst quarterback in the NFL based on a couple of metrics uh, one is uh, the analytic metric CPOE and I think the other one was uh, I, don't, I don't recall I think it was eh, it was an efficiency marker I can't remember the point is it first of all, that was not an accurate reading of the chart. That's the first thing. Second of all, <laughs> it I think it speaks to to some degree the reality of Anthony Richardson, which is this. He is he's not a perfect player. And in many ways you look at a guy like CJ Stroud and he is the he is the sort of prototype quarterback that we think about. And I don't mean he's the best quarterback. I'm just saying he's more conventional, right? He stands in the pocket. He makes accurate throws. And, and a coach, any coach can work with that, right? I think that is how we, we have customarily viewed football in that position. With Richardson, it's very different. I mean, he is – how do you measure Richardson through the conventional metrics when he is not a conventional quarterback? That is what I see. And, and so I think we have to take that into account. And if you watch him, this is very obvious. Uh, there are times when Anthony Richardson hurts the Colts on a play-to-play basis. Uh, he makes a bad decision. He makes an errant throw. And you're banging your head against the wall. And then he does what he did in the second half on Sunday. And I don't care what level of football you're talking about. We've all seen that guy put a team on his back and say, we're not going to lose today. Now, they did, but, but he did everything in his power to prevent that. Now, the, the NBA reference came in where I said, I see him as kind of a, I don't want to say a volume shooter, but, but, but that's probably the most recognizable uh, way to, to tackle this. An NBA shooter, a perimeter guy who, uh, not a shooter, but a, an offensive player who, who attacks and maybe doesn't shoot a high percentage but you just know this is a guy who can create his own shot, right? It, every team needs that guy because if you're, if you're relying on the system all the time and, and the pick and roll to get an open shot or, or just running your system depending on open shots, well, if a creative defensive approach comes in, now your system is, is going sideways and it's not getting you those open shots. So what you, what you have to do in that situation is you've got to get a guy who can say, give me the ball, get out of the way, I'm going to create a shot. And that's Anthony Richardson. And I don't know how you measure that guy analytically. It might not work out, and it might not make sense. But you just know that he can make a play. So anyway, that's the that was kind of a that's a long answer, but that I hope makes sense. The the last thing you asked me about was Chris Ballard, and I did have a quick conversation with him on Monday. I was, I approached him about something else I was trying to clarify, and and he immediately he answered my question, but he immediately turn his attention to Anthony Richardson and he just said, you know, I'm usually really pissed off after losses and we all know from sitting in the press box with him at, at road games that that is absolutely true. He is 
absolutely inconsolable and is just has no control of his emotions. Okay, I saw him in the bathroom when they were down twenty three nothing on Sunday, and he looked like he wanted to absolutely murder me. Which I mean, maybe we may have wanted to, but yeah. Well, he may actually want to kill you. Sure, that's sure. The story. Yeah. So, but anyhow, <laughs> so he said, you know, this one is different because this guy, it's just he's just different, and even in a loss, you see what the future could hold. And he's got to put it all together, and that may never happen, for all we know. But but everything tells me that Anthony Richardson will put it together, and I and I think the reason for that is I think just from game to game, quarter to quarter, you see progress. I see a guy who grows and doesn't make the same mistake twice. So everything is positive. I'm I'm telling you, I said it yesterday uh, with with the midday show. I'll say it again here. I have sensed more optimism in that building. About a sing- I've never sensed more optimism about a single player in that building not named Andrew Luck. That's it, period. I mean, he has given them more optimism than anybody since Andrew Luck. Stephen Holder, ESPN.com with us following the Colts. Okay, I'm looking at your tweets, and I, and I did see these. The one that you mentioned, completion percentage above expected, which is CPOE, and the other is EPA per play. That's yeah, the, okay. <laughs> Those are the two. Whatever those mean, uh, that was the tweet. Yeah, that, that, let me be clear. Let me be clear. Like, those things matter. Sure. They do matter. And, and, and they oftentimes can tell you a story, but they do not tell the full story, right? especially about a guy like this. Total agreement. There's no doubt about that. I'm going to throw a bunch at you here. Um, uh, your thoughts, uh, you know, getting down 23 nothing, the valiant comeback, but you did get 20, down 23 nothing after such a week of praise after the Baltimore game. So a winnable game and a close loss on Sunday. And then in come the Tennessee Titans. And then to throw just all this at you, Stephen, uh, the injuries are piling up for the Colts. There has to be some worry there. So looking back, looking forward – and then the injuries, what do you make of all of that? Well, look, the, the first thing, I'll take the injuries first. I mean, you know, my favorite thing to do is to say I told you so, and <laughs> I'm going to say it now. <laughs> look, this team did not have a lot of depth. We said that all summer, and their their depth is going to be tested now. And, and I, I tell you what, I mean, there's reason for concern. Uh, there was always reason for concern, but now it's real. So we'll see. I think that they have, particularly at cornerback, we knew they didn't have a lot of depth there. We knew they had just an unbelievable amount of youth there. And so here we are now, you know, with Dallas, uh, using Dallas Flowers out for the season. That's a, that's a big injury. I mean, mm-hmm. I know nationally people will look at that injury and kind of scoff, like, never heard of that guy. And I get that. And that's probably true for most. But for their situation, look, everything is relative. And for their situation, he mattered a lot. And yeah. short term and long term, good snaps. Yeah, absolutely, and giving them some good snaps. In fact, so so that's a that's a big one. I, I think the all, the other thing I can say is, I mean, look at the loss of DeForest Buckner on Sunday and the impact that that had. Now, any team that loses a player of that caliber is going to suffer, but I don't think they did a good job compensating for him. And they may have to look at how they handle that from a lineup perspective uh, going forward. So, look, I, I think here they come against you know, the, the Titans, a team, another team that is that is flawed, not a perfect team. Uh, we'll we'll see how they compete, but I, I think that's really the bottom line. They've, they've got to compete, and 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 the, the, what we saw with the Colts getting down twenty three nothing, 
I think that's just a reality of who they are. They're they're not a they're not a perfect team. They're a flawed team. They have weaknesses that we that we know of and and that are that are obvious. So again, uh, I think we knew this. We knew this mm-hmm. going in, and we should not get ahead of ourselves because of that win at Baltimore or the the way they dominated in Houston. I think the Colts are very much a week to week team, and and not a team that's going to be favored and. In, in, tons of games but by the team that can win any game steven last one for me and appreciate your time here on this wednesday morning um i do want to get in a shaquille leonard question if i could four games into the season he's played about 200 snaps we again have seen the playing time dwindle a little bit i know gus bradley mentioned yesterday some of that had to do with specific kind of personnel groupings with the rams i would say my concern with leonard through four games is in those 200 snaps steven I can maybe remember one play he's made, like one play that stood out. And, and, you know, it'd be one thing if I saw like two to three flashes a game or every other game, and then it's just like, okay, if he just knocks off the other rest, you know that high-level playmaking is in there. I think of a tackle for loss against Jacksonville, and that's really it. Um, How would you observe what you've seen from Leonard here through the first four games? I have the same takeaway. It's very jarring. Uh, to see Shaq Leonard out there on the field and and not see those game-changing plays because he has done it even under the most challenging circumstances. And I, I, I think specifically of 2021 when – I believe that's right, yeah, 2021 when he was hurt then and, and he, was, he was definitely not running at full speed. You could tell that his, his gait was impacted by the ankle even two years ago. And <laughs> he made just – one game-changing play after another that year. I mean, I thought from a from a turnover perspective, he has never had a better season than 2021. So that was – so to now see what we're seeing now, it is kind of – it's certainly unusual, and I, I think concerning is maybe fair just because it's not, it's not typical for him. Now, I, I mentioned this on the show yesterday. I, I think it's worth mentioning again. I don't know all the particulars of this because – I am not a defensive coordinator. I just know that that his role in in Gus Bradley's defense is definitely modified from that of of Matt Eberflus's system. Now, I don't know if that is a primary reason for him not making the game changing plays. I, I do know that it, it does kind of tee up the middle linebacker to make a lot of a lot of plays, and, and I think we're seeing that or have seen from Zaire Franklin. So so that may be in play here too. But at the same time, at the end of the day, there is there, there's a presence that Shaq Leonard has always had, and, and I think we're all waiting to see him show that presence again. The, the last thing I would say is that he has historically uh, been able to freelance a little bit, in, particularly in the Matt Eberflus system. I... I don't know whether he has the same freedom in this system. So I'm just throwing out potential factors, right? I mean, it's too early for us to really zero in on any of this, but these are all variables that, that could be involved here. But ultimately, uh, he's, he, you know, I, I think he's, he's got to be able to physically be the player he was to then tap into the instincts that God gave him. And that's why I think his challenge is right now. Again, a walkthrough today coming up for the Colts. We'll await anything more on the Jonathan Taylor front. First official practice sounds like will be Thursday, and I'm not, I guess, I'm not holding my breath at Taylor. Do you think Taylor talks this week, Stephen? 
No idea. Uh, <laughs> did have not gotten a, a definitive answer on that, and yeah. I believe me, I did ask. Yeah, I can. Uh, <laughs> I can imagine. All right, Stephen, thank you for the time. Appreciate it, Stephen. All right, guys. All right, nine o'clock hour, hanging out with you. Wake up call KB and Andy on this Wednesday, getting you ready for the Colts and Titans. Reminder, all that pregame coverage on Sunday, beginning with JMV and company at 9 a.m. The call of the game with Maytay. He'll have you uh, there for the call of the Colts and Titans. And then Greg Rakes for all the postgame coverage uh, as we find out if the Colts above 503-2 or if they'll lose two straight. And uh, then we'll have to see what will happen uh, with everything going on there. Jonathan Taylor news, obviously. We've been talking about that uh, and much more. Let's go back. Busy morning for us here, KB. Let's go back to the Payless Liquors hotline. Uh, a guy that I love, former New York Giant. That's why Mark Ross joins us uh, with the NFL Network analyst there. Mark, good morning. How are you, sir? Outstanding. How about you guys? Man, we are fantastic. Living the life here in Indianapolis, getting ready for week five of the NFL season. I want to ask some general things, what you think of uh, the first month or so of the season. But local here, uh, obviously the news this week, Jonathan Taylor can practice. Uh, So we'll see what happens. A walkthrough today and then back at practice for the Colts tomorrow. Uh, You've been in these types of discussions, uh, kind of a battle with the player, an unhappy contract situation. What do you make of the Colts and Jonathan Taylor, that situation? And what types of things do you think are happening behind the scenes? Well, you're just weighing, you know, the the good, the bad, the positives, the negatives. You really have people that are trying to keep, you know, the business sense of it, the dollars and cents together. You got some people getting emotionally involved with, well, Jonathan Taylor as a person, you know, that kind of gets involved. So all of that's going on. Your cat guy's got his opinion, your GM, your scouts, your personnel people, the owner gets involved. We know there are some owners are more involved than others. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of that comes into play when you're dealing with a, a contract like this, a person like this, someone with the stature of Jonathan Taylor. And of course, now with all the, the, the changing of the guard with the running back contract and the running back values over the past few years, you're taking that all into account. You're sitting there looking at, well, Saquon Barkley sitting there on the bench there in, in New York, speaking of the Giants. And man, let's see how they maybe follow that lead and not pay these guys. So, you know, it's really just you just have to dig in and look at what's best for the organization. And even you're looking at how you're playing in these first four games without Jonathan Taylor. You know, you'll, you'll talk about that. Well, okay, this is how we look. How much better will he make us? Will he make us better? So it's really just uh, you dig deep into everything and every possible situation and scenario and what's best for the organization going forward. Those are the best teams that make the decisions that are best for the organization, not an individual player or one individual opinion uh, for the organization. Mark, we saw it back uh, obviously late in training camp when Jonathan Taylor um, was seeking a trade and you know the Colts granted him that ability to try and see what was out there. What do you think a realistic trade package would be for Jonathan Taylor? I know the trade deadline is, what, I guess, a month away, a little bit less than a month away. But what, when you factor in compensation, not only financially for a new contract and draft picks, assuming that's what it would be, what do you think would be a compensation for him? Well, it's so it's so uncertain now because again because of the running back valuation nowadays. And what's realistic now for running back? Most teams now, all the other thirty one say, well, we'll give you a fourth or fifth or something. And of course, the Colts, even though they're saying they they highly value the guy, and then someone <laughs> gives a package like, well, actually, that's not good enough. Uh, we don't want him, but that's not good enough. So 
you know, it's uh, it, it, all the other kind of positions at this point, you can kind of point to, okay, here's the precedent. This is what's next. Here's what, you, what it'll take. But with the running backs and the devaluation, it's just been like shocking almost that they're, they're worth nothing. So, I mean, if you're the Colts and you're looking at it, you might just say, well, let's just take anything we can get a couple, you know, a second or a third or third and fourth, just, you know, throw some incentives in there with it. Um, to, to make sure you get something. But those are the decisions you're making now to say, okay, how much do we actually value this guy? What do we think is going to be the end outcome of our negotiations with him? And then what do we feel comfortable going forward with to say, all right, are we better parting ways with him and getting anything, getting something, or just moving on from him and, and sticking it out? Or how surprised are you being in the NFL and following the NFL that the running back position is being valued or not being valued? And then, as it pertains to the Jonathan Taylor situation, Mark, uh, you have an agent who is very involved and is very involved on social media. How does that change things as well? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you know, agents, they got to do their thing. They right. got to do their job, and, and you can't disparage them of that. And that's why players have agents. You sit there and yell at each other, your cat got or GM yell at each other, okay, next day it's another business day. Let's try to do business. So now with the social media age, that, that throws the whole thing in the uh, state of flux as well and adds another layer of animosity, let's just say. But you still have to do business and, uh, you know, approach it in that sort of way that this is these are business negotiations and it doesn't get personal. Uh, but, it, you know, as far as the, the value of running backs, you know, when I came to the league, it's – you know, you built your team around running backs. Of course, quarterbacks were super important. They were right neck and neck, but almost neck and neck. And you, you could kind of see it coming because of you know, how college is played and the NFL just started slowly adopting college ways. And when I started in the first 10, 15 years, whatever, it's like, that won't work in the NFL. You know, mm-hmm. that's college stuff. And now it's, well, yeah, the colleges have taken over and what they've done. They've, they've been the innovative people where the NFL had to adapt to what they were doing. And part of that was when you used to watch colleges and spread out and throw the ball all over the place, didn't matter who your running back was. So, And you're seeing that now where the great teams, the Super Bowl teams, have proven they can win without top-tier running backs. And the highly paid running backs, the highly drafted running backs really didn't have a ton of success and got hurt a lot. So it was not surprising if you kind of looked at it in each step of the way. I didn't think it would get this, this bad, but you could kind of see the devaluation kind of coming. He's Mark Ross, former NFL executive. You see him on NFL Network. He's with us here right now uh, on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Mark, as we sit here at, I guess, the first quarter of the season complete, you've got four 2-2 two and two teams in the AFC South. Uh, who would you view as the favorite in this division after what you've seen through the first four weeks? Yeah, wow. It's um, it, it's, it's an intriguing bit going into you're like, oh, those teams, none of them are any good. Jacksonville's going to run away with it. Forget forget about Houston, you know. Forget about the, you know the, the Titans are not good anymore. But you know, it really has become intriguing uh, at this point, and they're all different. You know, they're all completely different with how how they're built and how they're structured and what the goals were kind of coming into the season and. You know, with Indy, it was, well, we'll just learn and grow and let Anthony Richardson get better. And, well, now you're you're in every game and you're competitive, even when he didn't play. So, you know, I, I would think, you know, despite their struggles early, that Jacksonville sort of is still the favorite um, just because they've been there. They've done that. They should be taking another step. You know, they've got the veteran head, the head coach, Super Bowl pedigree. They've got Trevor, who they won the game last year. So 
at this point, I would still slightly favor them, but it's been far more intriguing and those teams have been far more competitive than I would have thought coming into the season. I mean, the thing about it is that you can't have all these teams 8-8 eight eight, given that we play 17 games now, Mark. Uh, I always want to say that, well, everyone's going to be 8-8, eight eight, but you can't be eight, that eight anymore. 8 one maybe. Yeah, would eight. that define the AFC South? <laughs> really Everyone won. finishes the year 8-8-1. Eight, eight Everyone gets a tie at, at some point. Mark Ross with us here on the fan on this Wednesday Payless Liquors Hotline. You mentioned, uh, mentioned Anthony Richardson, so you have AR and Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, and, and, and I didn't think too much of Stroud and he's been uh, pretty damn good in this first month. Anthony Richardson definitely showing some flashes, a little bit of an injury issue. Same with Bryce Young, the injuries. Although, I, you know, I, he looks a little bit more lost than the others, uh, but these quarterbacks are going to be all tied at the hip, taken so high. What do you make of all three of them and how they're playing? Well, it'll be fun for the league, right? I mean, uh, the, their whole career, they'll be, they'll, as you said, they'll be tied to each other, be compared to each other, and it'll be how they play individually and how they their teams do. So that'll be really fun to to look at. And I've talked about different situations. And they, they're all in different situations. You know, coming into it, I thought Bryce Young was, was ready-made. Throw him in there. They got the, the excellent coaching staff. They had some, some uh, you, you know, talent around him. I thought that talent has proved to be, you know, maybe not as, as good as people thought coming into there. And he's had struggles. And it was almost as if they thought, let's just put everything on this guy and you go do it, Bryce. And they, they got to figure out, like, no, he, you can't just throw the guy just because he's the number one pick in the draft. That you got to throw everything on him. You got to help him some. And you know, I think they they're, they should learn from that. Uh, with CJ Stroud, I mean, he's completely blown me away. And I was I covered the Texans during training camp, and uh, it, even then, it didn't look like he would be ready made to go. Even though they said he's going to be the guy, I thought they were going to have a lot of growing pains there, but. Man, D'Amico Ryan, the head coach, has really stepped in and got that team buying in. They play hard. They play fast on offense. DJ's been poised, hasn't turned the ball over, been really productive. So he's far and away exceeded my expectations right now. And then with AR there, you guys see it. You see the great and you see the, mm-hmm. the not so great. Now you see why he was so polarizing coming out because you get the best of both. And the NFL and great quarterbacks is all about consistency. And do you consistently do great things well, or do you consistently do mediocre things or consistently do bad things? So we'll have to see where his career, this season, each game plays out for him, where, where he goes with the consistency aspect, because he's never been consistently doing good things or, or bad things. It's right. always been one or the other, most extremes with him, where he'll throw a ball, you're like, what in the world is going on? And then he makes a spectacular play like he does running around and throwing it. So... Where where will that consistency go to with Anthony Richardson, and that'll tell the tale of his career and and the the Indies uh, seasons and future. Mark, we'll end with this. Um, and again, thank you for the time here. Mark Ross is with us, former NFL executive. You can see him on NFL Network. But I seem to recall back in the 2011-2012, I guess, GM cycle that you were a hot name here in Indy. Um, it was a job that eventually went to Ryan Grigson. Uh, what do you remember about that process? And, and did, did you think you had a legit shot at taking over for Bill Polian? Yeah, I did. I did. And, uh, you know, yes, I, I was a hot guy then. We had, were winning two Super Bowls there with the Giants with, uh, with our crew. And, um, yeah, I did, I did think I really had a good shot met with, with the owner there, Arce, and a couple other guys, the executives there, and gave it my all, gave it my best. And uh, I thought I presented uh, really well. But, uh, you know, obviously Ryan Grigson was a much more uh, qualified and better candidate than me. Uh, it would have been an awesome job because that's when they had the Andrew Luck draft. So 
but uh, yeah, that's history. It's, it's done with. Moved on. Had an excellent career, and maybe one day come back there, get back there with the, in Indy. What is a Jim Irsay interview experience <laughs> like there? I'm trying uh, to we think. Can't talk about that on air, guys. <laughs> uh, next time I'm there, we'll, we'll uh, I'm there for the combine. We'll have some take me out for some beers. And we'll, there we'll we go. Do a little chat. You do not have to tell us twice. I have a feeling it might need a few drinks to get through that entire. <laughs> We're going top shelf for that, not beers. We need uh, a little Louis the Thirteenth or something. <laughs> I love it. We'll get the NFL Network black card on that one there. Again, Mark Ross from the NFL Network with us here. Mark, great stuff. Thanks. Thank you for the time this morning. All right. All right. Take care.